0: KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you into the Tuesday evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's letter to Philemon. This very short letter, uh, what, 25 verses. I did get a question, you know, Joe, is this letter any less important than any of Paul's other epistles? And the answer to that is no, not at all. As I noted yesterday, something to remember is that this letter is a microcosm of all of his epistles. I know I initially called it a precursor, and it does serve that purpose, but it really is more of a microcosm. Um, But above all that, this is the inspired Word of God, where we read one verse in light of the other. Uh, one chapter in light of the other, one book in light of the other. And if you remove any one verse, chapter, or book, then the inspired Word of God will not be what it was intended to be, right? So this is why it would be so dangerous to think that any one verse is any less important than another verse as it relates to how we are called to interpret sacred scripture. So Paul's letter to Philemon is quintessential in the spiritual life. And to the point, (laughs) as we go through these verses over the next two weeks, uh, you will find that uh, some of these verses are transformative, if we allow them to be transformative. I mean, the deeper we go into sacred Scripture, and each verse as the inspired Word of God, so the Word (laughs) that God intended, then we will come to understand that each verse is worth meditating upon. And as we meditate upon these verses, there is salvific implication insofar as it challenges us to be the person that God is calling us to be. Yesterday, I was talking about how this whole letter is a kind of intervention of St. Paul on behalf of one Simus, right? Or again, as some have noted, Onesimus. The fact that St. Paul is intervening in the life of another, for his cause, calling Philemon to show mercy to this bond can be and should be a salvific moment for us, insofar as God calling us to intervene on behalf of another, when God calls us to intervene on behalf of one another. So, once we draw back, recollect, and see what is going on in these verses, as we will By the grace of God over the next two weeks, hopefully we will see and appreciate that salvific context for what it is. Uh, So, important question, and one that really does get us started this evening, because we do have some important verses to continue to reflect with. I will finish off with a reflection on verses 1 to 3, and then we'll get into verses 4 to 7. That being said, let us read again verses 1 to 3. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our brother, and our co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church at your house, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so we were in verse 1, and I know some of you might be thinking, two weeks, Joe, it took a whole program for you to get through one verse. Well, hopefully we will move a little more swiftly, if you will. What about this word, co-worker? What is going on there? Well, St. Paul is more than simply acknowledging Philemon as a colleague, the way we might today think of someone as a colleague who might be sitting in the next office cubicle. For Paul, the mission of the church is the work of the Lord, how the work of the Lord essentially works in and through us, right? Indeed, he writes... If Timothy comes, see that he is without fear in your company, for he is doing the work of the Lord. Literally translated as we discussed some months ago, for he works the work of the Lord. So, co worker is a name that St. Paul reserves for those who have labored at the work of the Lord, that is, spreading the gospel. Spreading the gospel is a work. You have to get up off the couch and move, you have to act, you have to work. You have to toil. You have to struggle. You have to sacrifice. This is what Saint Paul wants us to see. Here one might think of Aquila and Priscilla, Timothy. All of these are co-workers. Clement in his letter to Philippians chapter 4 verses 2 to 3, co-worker. A co-worker is a key leader in the Christian mission. We are all called to be co-workers in the kingdom of God. So very important there. Now, calling Aphia our sister is similar to calling Timothy our brother. My dear friends, this is so important for us to understand this kinship language, which speaks to how members of the Christian community are referred to. When we read of Jesus having brothers, he didn't literally have brothers. The Greek there is a delphos in the Greek, kinsmen. Okay, this is how they referred to one another, brother in our Lord, brother in Christ. When you are of the mind of Christ, you are a kinsman in Christ, kinsman with one another. So the person who is living next to you or across from you, working next to you or across from you, is an Adelphos, kinsman, brother or sister in Christ, okay? What about... Uh, Paul's language to Archippus here. Fellow soldier, is this not the same metaphor that we have already heard? Again, one that he employs in First and Second Corinthians, drawing on the metaphor of the Christian mission as a battle, that we have been given this grace, and this grace is actually armor. We have been equipped with ammunition to go to battle for our Lord. This was a very important image, a very important metaphor for St. Paul because he understood the spiritual battle going on between good and evil, the battle between the great archangels and, and Satan and his minions. He understood that that battle that is going on each and every day. So he calls us to equip ourselves with all of that ammunition that we might find in God's grace and in the sacramental church to properly just not defend our turf, but to be on the offensive, to bring souls to Christ, this is, again, something that St. Paul wants us to see. So along with these three individuals named as addressees, Paul includes also the church at your house. Now, I want to spend a little time with this, the church at your house, because this is so important. The word church here translates the Greek term ekklesia, which in the New Testament always refers to a community It shows up in our English words, ecclesiastical or ecclesial, when you hear that word that's always referring to the church or ecclesiology, the study of the church. It has Old Testament roots. In the Greek version of the Old Testament, ecclesia translates the Hebrew word for the word assembly, or the people of Israel gathered for worship, especially in the Old Testament atop Mount Sinai and in the and in the Jerusalem temple. So in the New Testament, the very term implies that a Christian community is the gathered people of God with the intended purpose to worship God. Now, something else is going on here in the Greek, which is invaluable, and that is the root sense of the word, the ekklesia, to be called out from. Ecclesia is best translated as to be called out from. Now, this word was employed because, essentially, if you are going to belong to the household of God, the people of God, the church of God, you are going to be called out from a former way of living. What is that former way of living? Well, the way of the world, secularism, that world where God has been removed. You're no longer in the mind of the world. You are now in the mind of Christ. You've been called out from the way of the world and called into the way of Christ, the mind of Christ. And that happens when? But in baptism, in the sacramental life. What is the image we have in the New Testament for baptism? But you've been given the cloth of Christ, that garment of virtue. So we now wear that white garment of virtue where we have been called out from a former way of living and into a new life. You have been incorporated into the very life of God, into the very love of God, whereas 2 Peter 1.4 reminds us is an actual sharing in the very stuff of God, the love of God, the divine nature of God, as St. Peter would put it. Called out from so as to be called into. That is what uh, the church life is all about, for sure. Now, the thing of it is, what does St. Paul say (laughs) there in, what is it, verse 1, or rather verse 2? And do the church at your house, at your house. You see, the church is the household of God. Is this not what 1 Timothy 3.15 says? The church is the household of God, the bulwark of truth. And that Jesus Christ calls God Father is not a coincidence, right? He calls God Father because there is a patriarchal culture to the church. To identify God as Father is to essentially, my friends, affirm what makes the church new. A family united with the risen Jesus. Jesus, who himself calls God Father. This understanding of Christian community and its source really is quintessential to this letter because he's addressing this church as a house, a household. And if we're going to grasp the meaning of what is behind church, ecclesia, we do have to understand what that word household is all about. The church, my friends, has its laws Has its boundaries in place. Because as you know, (laughs) if any family is going to have unity, if any family is going to have the order that it was intended to have, it must have laws, it must have boundaries. Because as a father, the moment my children break the laws that I set forth, my wife and I set forth, then there's going to be disorder, there's going to be chaos. So if my child and my children do not abide in the laws, those laws that my wife and I set forth, then there's going to be chaos. There's going to be disorder. But if they do, then there will be unity. There will be peace. There will be order. There will be harmony, that covenant harmony with God. If we are breaking the laws of the church, if we are breaking those boundaries that have been established over 2,000 years, then what will happen? huh? We must see the church as that sacrament of Christ. That which bears witness to God as family. Huh? How can we not mention that great line that comes to us from St. John Paul II in an address he gave early on in his pontificate when he said that God in his deepest mystery is not some Abstract solitude, but he is family because he has fatherhood, sonship, and the essence of family, which is love. So the church bears witness to this. I know this is a bit theological, but my dear friends, we need to probe theology from time to time here on radio. I never get too philosophical because I don't think that's always good radio. And I try not to get too dense in my theology, but we must probe. If we are going to be uh, theologians, and I I would argue that we're all called to be theologians to some degree, because theology means faith-seeking understanding. We are all called in faith to seek understanding, seek that deeper understanding and way of God, how he moves and acts in our life, how he moves and acts in our church. Right, And what I'm talking about here is how the church as a household of God is very much a concrete image that might help us better understand how God moves and acts among us, how he dwells among us, as John one fourteen says. All right, what else here in these verses? And this will be my closing thought to verses 1 to 3. Paul's sense of the network of relationships is very important, right? He speaks to individuals, right? But then he also speaks to the church. Why might he do that? Well, even in a message primarily addressed to an individual, Philemon, right? Paul implies right from the start that the news of one Simons' conversion and his request of Philemon are matters of interest to the whole community, Brothers and sisters, in the shared life of the Christian community, which Paul elsewhere calls what in his letter to the Corinthians but the body of Christ, the quality of any relationship within that community has implications for the rest. This is why you have heard me say on more than one occasion that your reconciliation with that one person who you are at odds with has a direct application with a wider community as a whole. What destroys just not relationships, but families and communities? Gossip. Gossip. The sin of gossip is rampant. And unfortunately, it is really bad in our churches. (laughs) Why do we gossip? Well, we feel this need to protect ourselves and we, we seek that affirmation. Gossip is that idle conversation about someone else, right, where we are breaking them down. If that relationship was reconciled, there would be no gossip. And ultimately, you would have unity. But because there's gossip, there's disunity. And now certain churches or families or or workplace are at odds with each other, as opposed to, again, unified. If we reconcile ourselves with our brother and sister in Christ— what we will find is that reconciliation having a positive impact upon the wider community that you belong to. If you don't, it will have a negative impact and it will break down the whole. This is why St. Paul is so adamant in his address to Philemon. All right, verses four to seven I give thanks to my God always, remembering you in my prayers. As I hear of the love and the faith you have in the Lord Jesus and for all the holy ones, so that your partnership in the faith may become effective in recognizing every good there is in us that leads to Christ. For I have experienced much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the holy ones have been refreshed by you, brother. So four very rich verses I thank my God. Now, it's interesting here, and most commentaries pick up on this, this verse, verse 4, marks a transition where Paul, previously speaking in the plural R, right, begins to speak in the singular I. The effect is, in the writing, a heightened sense, if you will, that Paul is now addressing Philemon in a deeply personal and heartfelt way. And we as readers of this epistle of this text, are made to enter into the intimate exhortation. This is a deeply personal, heartfelt exhortation. Like I was just speaking to it, it is of the deepest concern for St. Paul that the church is reconciled for the sake of the church. So each and every one of us has to take an account for the manner in which We seek reconciliation for the manner in which we are called to reconcile ourselves with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It must be deeply personal, deeply intimate, deeply affectionate. If we are going to follow the pattern of St. Paul, we are to do it as St. Paul does. This, my friends, I think brings in those much-talked-about virtues of gentleness and reverence, Those virtues that really allow the conversation to be had, those virtues that really allow us to enter into the art of listening, the art of personally accompanying someone to just not understand their wrongdoing, but also in the end, why the way of reconciliation is the better way. And maybe again here, we might be on the other side of this. Maybe we are the one being challenged. We have to be humble. We have to enter into why reproof and chastisement are necessary uh, gospel values. We just need to enter into it. If we don't, then something is going to be missing and or lacking in our fruitfulness and how we live. If you are someone who practices with great devotion your faith, and then you turn around and you hold a grudge the size of Mount Everest in your heart, you have to ask yourself the question, is the grudge that I'm holding in my heart, the glove ball fit with my devotion? I'll tell you, it's not. So you have to challenge yourself. You have to allow God to call you out. What were we just saying about the word church? To be called out from. The church calls us out from this selfish way of living, from this way of gossip that we might enter into the way of Jesus Christ and the way of reconciliation. Again, this is what St. Paul is doing here. We are called to enter into the very personal and intimate letter that this is, his great love for Philemon and one Simus. Verse six here, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may promote the knowledge of all the good that is ours in Christ. You've heard me talk about the gift of knowledge before just not some abstract acquisition of numbers and statistics and, and random history, but knowledge that saves, knowledge that puts us into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what St. Paul is talking about, and certainly this is what he is literally, as he puts it, praying for. I am praying that you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, all that is good and ours in Jesus Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. The hearts. You know, the Greek there literally is the bowels or even internal organs. (laughs) A Semitic idiom for the place where emotions reside. But even something more. Bowels, internal organs. You know, we read that Jesus had pity on those who had less, on those who were impoverished. He was gripped. The word pity here is very much tied to the Greek for the hearts, because to have pity is to be moved to the bowels or to be, to be moved to the internal organs, to be moved to the core of who you are. We use this word and or phrase, the guts, to speak to our internal organs. Jesus was, I dare say, moved to his guts. That's how explicit it is in the Greek. His heart was so moved that he had pity on them. He was existentially gripped. Have you ever been so moved by something, so gripped by something? And here I'm not necessarily talking about something that is Christian. In point of fact, I pose to you a challenge, as I challenge myself in the here and now. What have I been so moved by that it stopped me in what I was doing and had my full attention? That which does not give glory to God. Are you equally moved, gripped by something Christian as you are that one thing that is not Christian? Oh, that's a great challenge. It certainly is for me. Maybe we can put it another way. What is it that you look forward to? when you wake up in the morning. Is it the stuff that belongs to God? Or is it the stuff that belongs to the world? What did we say about being called out from the world and into God? This is what's in play here. St. Paul can say, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you because he has the heart of a saint. (laughs) And truly, indeed, as he has been gripped by the disunity of what is present there, and again, what is probably Colossia, is something that needs to be dealt with. He had pity on them. He had a heart for them, and he was refreshed. Another word that implies this sense of newness or renewal. St. Paul is renewed in this sense of what is going on there and the good that is being spread. He finds himself bathing in this newness and the fruit of this refreshment in this newness is joy. He is rejoicing (laughs) because he is refreshed in the good news that has been reported to him. Have you ever been refreshed? Have you ever been renewed upon some news that you have received. Maybe someone is coming home that you have not seen in a long time. You are excited about seeing someone. Again, my friends, do we respond with that same excitement when we receive the good news of Jesus Christ or maybe someone who has converted to Jesus Christ? Okay, we are out of time. If you have any thoughts, comments, observations, please email me. At J H O L L J M J at Yahoo.com, or as always you can go to joeholcraft.org, J-O-E-H-O-L-L-C-R-A-F-T.org, send that observation on its way, and I will gladly engage you. And if I see fit, take it on air. This evening we started with something that you sent to me. Hey, Joe, is this epistle, is this letter any less important? That led to, I think, a very important question. So Send me what's on your heart, (laughs) okay, what is gripping you about Paul's letter to Philemon, and we'll talk about it, all right? All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.